Chapter Twenty One of the Wild Huntress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Wild Huntress by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Twenty One. A Rude Response. An opening of about two acres in extent, of irregular semicircular shape, with the creek for its cord and a worm fence zigzagging around its arc scarcely a clearing since trees bleached and barkless stand thickly over it a log shanty with clapboard roof in the centre of the concavity flanked on one side by a rude horse-shed on the other by a corn-crib of split rails all three shed shanty and crib like the tower of pisa threatening to tumble down near the shanty a woodpile with an old axe lying upon the chop-block by the shed and crib a litter of white shucks and cobs in front among the stumps and girdled trees a thin straggle of withered cornstalks shorn of their leafy tops some standing some trampled down such was the picture before my eyes as with my horse breast up against the fence i looked into the clearing of squatter holt it must be the place my place there is no other clearing within a mile my directions have been given with exact minuteness of detail i have followed them to the letter i cannot be mistaken i have reached holt's clearing at last i had ridden quite up to the fence but could see no gate a set of bars however between two roughly mortised uprights indicated an entrance to the enclosure the top bar was out not feeling inclined to dismount i sprang my horse over the others and then trotted forward in front of the shanty the door stood wide open i had hopes that the sound of my horse's hoof-stroke would have brought some one into it but no one came was there nobody within i waited for a minute or two listening for some sign of life in the interior of the cabin no voice reached me no sound of any one stirring perhaps the cabin was empty not untenanted since i could perceive the signs of occupation and some articles of rude furniture visible inside the doorway perhaps the inmates had gone out for a moment and might be in the woods near at hand i looked around the clearing and over the fence into the forest beyond no one to be seen no one to be heard without the cabin as within reigned a profound silence not a living thing in sight save the black vultures a score of which perched on the dead woods overhead and fetid as their food were infecting the air with their carrion odour although within easy range of my rifle the foul birds took no heed of my movements but sat still indolently extending their broad wings to the sun now and then one coming one going in slow silent flight their very shadows seeming to flit lazily among the withered maize plants that covered the ground i had no desire to appear rude i already regretted having leaped my horse over the bars even that might be regarded as rather a brusque method of approach to a private dwelling but i was in hopes it would not be noticed since there appeared to be no one who had witnessed it i coughed and made other noises with like unfruitful result my demonstrations were either not heard or if heard unheeded certainly thought i if there be any one in the house they must not only hear but see me for although there was no window i could perceive that the logs were but poorly chinked and from within the house the whole clearing must have been in sight nay more the interior itself was visible from without at least the greater part of it and while making this observation i fancied i could trace the outlines of a human figure through the interstices of the logs 
I became convinced it was a human figure, and furthermore the figure of a man. It was odd he had not heard me. Was he asleep? No, that could not be, from the attitude in which he was. He appeared to be seated in a chair, but with his body erect and his head held aloft. In such position he could scarcely be asleep. After making this reflection I coughed again, louder than before, but to no better purpose. I thought the figure moved. I was sure it moved, but as if with no intention of stirring from the seat. Cool indifference, thought I. What can the fellow mean? I grew impatient, and feeling a little provoked by the inexplicable somnolency of the owner of the cabin, I determined to try whether my voice might not rouse him. Ho, house there, I shouted, though not loudly. Ho, holla, anyone within? Again the figure moved, but still stirred not from the seat. I repeated both my summons and query, this time in still a louder and more commanding tone, and this time I obtained a response. Who the hell are you? came a voice through the interstices of the logs, a voice that more resembled the growl of a bear than the articulation of a human throat. Who the hell are you? repeated the voice, while at the same time I could perceive the figure rising from the chair. I made no answer to the rough query. I saw that my last summons had been sufficient. I could hear the hewn floor planks cracking under the heavy boot, and knew from this that my questioner was passing towards the door. In another instant he stood in the doorway, his body filling it from side to side, from head to stoop. A fearful-looking man was before me, a man of gigantic stature, with a beard reaching to the second button of his coat, and above it a face not to be looked upon without a sensation of terror, a countenance expressive of determined courage but at the same time of ferocity, untempered by any trace of a softer emotion, a shaggy sand-coloured beard, slightly grizzled, eyebrows like a chevaux de frise of hog's bristles, eyes of a greenish-gray with a broad livid scar across the left cheek, were component parts in producing this expression, while a red cotton kerchief wound turban-like around the head and pulled low down in front rendered it more palpable and pronounced. A loose coat of thick green blanket, somewhat faded and worn, added to the colossal appearance of the man, while a red flannel shirt served him also for a vest. His large limbs were inserted in pantaloons of blue Kentucky jeans cloth, but these were scarcely visible, hidden by the skirt of the ample blanket coat that draped down below the tops of a pair of rough horse-skin boots reaching above the knee and into which the trousers had been tucked. The face of the man was a singular picture. The colossal stature rendered it more striking. The costume corresponded, and all were in keeping with the rude manner of my reception. It was idle to ask the question. From the description given me by the young backwoodsman, I knew the man before me to be Hickman Holt, the squatter. End of chapter 21